Good morning, church family. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Walker Caps, and uh, I'm one of the well, I'm one of the staff here. And usually, I stand right here playing guitar. Um, I'm, I'm usually the, also the guy on Thursdays who sends you the email. So sorry about cluttering your inbox with those many messages. But I am also one of the pastoral candidates this morning, and I'm excited to be able to preach to you this morning from Luke 15. Um, if you haven't met uh, me and my family, my, my wife's name is Julie. She's sitting down here on the front. Uh, we also have two little girls, Grady and Ellie. If you haven't seen them, you've probably heard them running around because they're very loud. Uh, we also have another little baby girl on the way in August, so please pray for us um, for that. Um, we're excited to be here at Cherrydale. We've been here for about two years, excited to be in this process to become your pastor. So thank you for doing that. I felt a lot of warmness from you guys this week. Many texts saying I'm praying for you this Sunday as you preach. So thank you for being a loving body. I'm really thankful for you guys. And we're so excited to be here at Cherrydale. All right, so this morning, like uh, Rodney says, I have the privilege of speaking in Luke 15. And I'm thankful to get this text because I think of all the guys, I think I'm the, the most qualified to preach out of this passage. And uh, this passage covers the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And it's not because I'm qualified not because I've done the most research on this passage. I think Donnie has probably covered that down here, Matt. Um, it's not because I have been a shepherd at all in my past life. Um, we do have a half-border collie at our house, and he is a shepherding dog, but I haven't been a shepherd before. Um, it's, uh, it's not because, uh, well, it's, it is because maybe because I've lost a lot of coins in my lifetime, uh, but not of any great value. Um, and I can say with honesty, I've never lost a son, never misplaced a son. The reason I'm the most qualified this morning is because I am a chronic loser of things. One could even say I am a loser. Julie, had, Julie said I had to say that. <laughs> I lose things all the time. My keys, my wallet, my phone, no matter what I do, I lose the thing. Maybe you can relate with me this morning. And I know what you're probably thinking, Walker, what you need to do is buy one of those tile Bluetooth things that you attach on your keys or put in your wallet, and you, you get the app, and every time that you lose your keys, you just hit the button, and the alarm goes off, and you know exactly where they are. Well, that is a great thought, and my loving wife, thankfully, bought me one of those for Christmas one year, and I was so excited to open the box, and it was the tile. Yes, I can finally find my keys. And I was so excited to put it in my wallet or on my keys, but before I could determine which one to put it in, I lost the thing. I am a chronic loser of things. This morning, thankfully, we serve a God whose character is not to be a loser of things, but it's the opposite. He is the one who comes out and finds us. And we see this in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Luke 15. There should be some Bibles um, under the, um, the rows. There's also some here in this, uh, the table. Um, we're going to be reading out of the CSB this morning. Before we jump into the text, let me give a little bit of context um, um, to the scripture that sandwiches both the beginning and the end. If you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you've probably heard about the, the rough teaching, the heavy-handed teaching that Jesus has been giving the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Um, he's calling out their hypocrisy. He's challenging them on their views on religion. And even as, after we jump into this text, after we go into chapter 16, we're going to see the story of the dishonest manager and also the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So this morning, we kind of have an off-ramp uh, 
to these other passages, and we're being made aware of God's twofold character. He is both just and powerful and stern, but we also see this morning that he is a loving and merciful Savior who shows us steadfast love. So, if you would, uh, let, me, uh, let me read for us. This term, the sermon I have titled this morning is Lost and Founding. I thought it was kind of appropriate. I was trying to think of something really cutesy, but uh, Lost and Found does the job. So we're going to land with that. Three main points this morning, and then I'm going to have some application woven in, in between. So uh, let me read uh, this whole chapter. A lot of text, so hang on. <clears throat> Verse 1. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. All right, so we're off the bat. I'm not going to do this the whole time. We have uh, two audiences. We have the sinners and tax collectors, which is considered one. And then we have the scribes and Pharisees, which is considered the other. So that's who Jesus is talking to. And the tax collectors and sinners, they are approaching Jesus. They're coming near to him because they're wanting to know what he's saying. But then the other uh, audience, the Pharisees and scribes, they're coming before him with complaints. So we see the heart issue. We see the heart issue in this one. And they say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what Jesus probably says, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. That's what I've been doing the whole time. So in response to this accusation that he eats with sinners and tax collectors, he tells them this parable. Now, you might be used to thinking of the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son or prodigal son. But this is actually one whole unit, one unified parable with three parts telling a unified story. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the whole thing. So let's continue in verse 4, pick up the story. What man among you who has 100 sheep loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have lost my sheep. I tell you, in the same, day, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over, one, over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance." Now, as we continue to read, think of the, the elements that kind of link these stories together as we continue to read in eight, eight, verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, the same way there is joy in the presence of God, God's angels, over one sinner who repents. He also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give to me the share of this estate I have coming to me. He distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the, from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Then he came to his senses. He said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, than, than, more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Made me like one of your hired workers. So he got up, went to his father, and while his son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told him, told his servants, Quick, 
Bring our best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and he came near to the house and he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and questioned, what do these things mean? Your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. I'm going to stop there. We're going to continue the story in a little bit. Now, like I said, this is a, uh, a long text, and there's many nuggets that we can find hidden in these stories, but this morning I'm going to kind of paint a broad brush um, over the stories and to see what God has to say for us. Now, this is a personal observation that I have, that I've seen. We all give everything in life assigned value. From the car in your garage to the ice in your freezer machine, everything has an assigned value. Let me try to, let me try to illustrate this with a story. As I said before, I play guitar nearly every Sunday, and I lose and use guitar picks every, every time. They end up in my pocket, in the wash, in my car. Julie can attest to this. It's, they're literally everywhere in our house. And nearly every Sunday before I come back on stage after the sermon for the last song, I do a search for my guitar pick. And the search usually goes like this. I'm standing in the back. I put my hands in my pocket, and one of two things happen. Either I pull out my guitar pick, or I don't have one at all. But not to worry, because I come back up here, I've got like five guitar picks on my stand, so it's not a big deal. My response is not as big, because for me, the pick is, more, is no more valuable than another. They're disposable. Whenever I lose them, I just buy more on Amazon. They come in bulk for like 10 bucks. It's not a big deal. Now, in another part of the story, in another way, a few weeks back, our family went to Unity Park, the new park downtown, which is awesome, by the way. I wish I was a kid so I could play on this park. It's amazing. Kids are everywhere. It's a Saturday. And we're there with my brother-in-law and his, uh, his son, and me and my brother-in-law were talking. We're keeping an eye on the kids, and, and we're talking, having a conversation. I look, and I see Grady. There she is playing with her nephew and having a lot of fun. Go back to have a conversation with our brother-in-law, Josh. Look back around, and then Grady is nowhere to be found. She wasn't where I saw her last. So I started scanning the crowds. Not a big deal. I keep scanning, can't find her. Then I asked Josh, hey, have you seen Grady? And he says, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. What was she wearing? And at that point... It went from calm to panic. What was she wearing? That was the question. My blood pressure started racing. I became frantic. I noticed the road that runs beside the park that a van could just pull up, the door could slide open, somebody could grab Grady right off the, out of the park. I was frantically searching. And then suddenly, I heard a high-pitched voice saying, Mama! They always call for Mama for some reason. I, I know the reason. It's very good. I'm glad. And the searching that was one minute felt like an hour. But I went up to Grady, put my arms around her, and there was no scolding, there was no anger. It was relief at the sight of my baby girl that she was not lost, but she was in fact found. See, the value I place on Grady cannot compare to cheap guitar picks. Grady's value activated in me a response that was appropriate to her value. Now these three stories this morning, the reason I'm telling you this is that we see a clear emphasis on the fact, and this is our first point, that God places unexpected value on the lost. God places unexpected value on the lost. Working our way through these stories, we notice that the value of each item increases as we go. Each story narrows in the focus 
as it pertains to the value of the lost item. We see this first in the shepherd. He loses one of a hundred sheep, but still he goes out to find the sheep. Then we see the woman who loses one of the ten coins. Still she searches and goes out to find the coin. It's not like the penny you drop in the Ingalls parking lot and decide, oh, is it really worth me bending down to get it? This coin has value. She goes out and gets it. And then we see the father loses one of two sons. And these, out of these three stories, this is the greatest value because like I said earlier in the story, a child cannot be replaced. Seen in these stories, we see ourselves as the lost sheep. We, are, we see ourselves as the lost coin. And we see ourselves as the lost son. The one who has value in the eyes of God and the one who God goes to great lengths to rescue and save you from your sin. As we zoom out of the text this morning, be encouraged by this. We know of a greater story of a heavenly father who willingly gave up his one and only son to seek and save the lost. God values the lost. God values us, the people who we once were. God values the lost in this way that he gave up his irreplaceable son, one of one, because he values you. As we see this, we also see that God goes to unexpected lengths to rescue the lost. This is the second point. God goes to unexpected lengths to rescue the lost. In these stories, the value placed on the lost determines the intensity of the search. I'm going to say that one more time. The value of the lost determines the intensity of the search. This is emphasized as the characters in the story that we see. Like I said a minute, but uh, as I said in the story before, as I was searching for Grady in that, min- in that minute in the park, my search was on. It was intense because the value of Grady was so great. So we see this demonstrated in the stories. Check out the the shepherd in verse 4. He leaves the 99 in the open field and goes after the lost one. Just think he's, he's covering ground. He's crossing streams. He's walking through briar bushes. He's physically exhausting himself to the point so he can find this lost sheep. And we see the woman in verse 8, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, she searches carefully, she's on hands and knees trying to find this lost coin in her house. And then we see the father father in verse 20, he is actively looking on the horizon, hoping to see his boy return home, and when he does, he runs out to meet him. This culturally shocking moment, the patriarch of the family lifts his robe and runs out to meet his lost son. He goes to unexpected lengths to recover the loss. And church, this is what God has done for us. From the garden to the cross, God has been developing an extensive rescue plan for you and me to rescue us from our sin and the wrath of God. Remember Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. You're welcome. That's going to be stuck in your head on Sunday. Through Abraham, God establishes his nation, Israel. From there, God sends the Messiah to rescue not just his people, but to rescue the world. Such a beautiful picture as we realize that God is the God who comes out for his people. He comes down for his people. And he pursues with the intent of finding. And this is just in sync with what Jesus does, his whole ministry. We see stories of Jesus willingly going out to the sick, 
what nobody else would do, reaching his hand out to lepers at the risk of being uh, contaminated himself, willing to put himself in danger both physically and socially for those lost. All right, like I said, a little bit of application woven in here. Application for us. Because God searches for us, we should search for the lost around us. Because God searches for us, we search for the lost around us. God rescues us from our lostness so we can sympathize with those around us who are lost. We do not just live life around our lost friends and family, hoping for the one day the light will come on and they'll realize. We go out and we seek to have conversations. We seek to have relationships. We do not desire to be like the religious leaders who were not interested in reaching out to other kinds, but instead be like Jesus who was outward facing. Okay, so really practical here. Practical advice for us as a church. Put yourselves in other contexts other than just church events, other than just small group gatherings and other Christian activities. We want and desire to be a people who, like Jesus, go out of our way to talk, to make genuine friendships and relationships with lost neighbors, friends, family members for the sake of the gospel. This is what Christ has done for us. This is such a beautiful story as we continue to go as God willingly comes out to search for the lost. We also are remembered that the search is an, is an important part, but the finding is the most important part. My story would not have been as good in the front if I never found Grady. Obviously, tragic. <laughs> but we see that God shows an unexpected reaction to the lost. Is our next point. God shows an unexpected reaction to the lost. God offers an unexpected reaction as he comes to the lost sinner. We see this, the woman and the shepherd both are relentless in their search. There's no giving up. There's no taking a break. There's no stopping until they have found the lost thing. We see this uh, with the shepherd. We see in verse 5 and 6, when he had found it, talking about the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders In coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. The shepherd literally picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulders. What a beautiful picture of a fatherly affection for the sheep. Now, if I was in the story, and I had a lost sheep, if I had been going, crossing rivers, going through briar bushes, I don't think that would have been my natural reaction to put it on my shoulders. Maybe put a collar around his neck and in frustration and drag it back home. I've wasted time. I'm tired. I'm dirty. There's no love I want to get to this. But this is not what we see in the character of God. We see him lay the sheep on his shoulders and with joy return back to the others. This is such a fitting and fatherly thing to do. And it, it, takes, it tracks perfectly with the character of Jesus that we see in the rest of Scripture. It's an encouraging passage. 1 Peter 2, 24-25. He himself bore our sins in his, in his body on the tree, so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been fulfilled. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is what God has done. Jesus carries us along the way, and we can rest on his strong and capable shoulders. Another great example we see of this is in the story of the lost son. In verses 20 through 24, I'm not going to read the chunk. I'm going to kind of just uh, explain it to you guys and how, how I envision it. We see the son. 
He's taken the inheritance that was rightfully his, and he's gone out and spent it full on reckless living. And coming to his senses, he realizes that he desires to he, des- he realizes that his desire to live outside his father's house was not all that it was cracked up to be. He longed to be with his father in the house instead of the life he was making for himself, which led him in a far country feeding pigs in the fields. And this is where we see his repentance. He leaves the life he had made for himself, and he humbly goes back to his father's house, rehearsing on his way the verbal repentance and testimony of his sin. As he gets closer he realizes, as he gets closer to his father's house, he realizes um, someone running out to him. And then he realizes that it looks like it's his father running out to him. Shocking nonetheless, because he has never seen his father sprint in his entire life. He's also troubled and wonders what the father will do when he gets to him. What will his reaction be? But as the father nears the son, realizes that instead of a look of anger and resentment on the father's face, the father has a joyful complexion. Before he knows it, he's enveloped in an embrace and loving affection that he has longed for ever since the day he left home. But the son pulls away and starts his well-rehearsed lines, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts, Quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, the one we've been waiting to kill for that special occasion, and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's begin to celebrate. Church, in the same way, our Heavenly Father receives and wants to receive those who are lost into his arms and shower us with unexpected showers of blessing, even though we are very undeserving of it. This is just how our God operates. Isn't that beautiful? The text goes on to say, tell you in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over a sinner who repents. And this is just a shadow of the party that goes down in heaven when a sinner repents. And we, uh, we practiced this uh, last Sunday. It was a, such an encouraging Sunday as we baptized um, believers. And as they went to, the, went to the water and they came up, we just erupted with applause. And shouts, and I think I even heard some whistling in the, in the room, which is pretty awesome. This is right and what we should do. We should rejoice over sinners who are found. This is what God has uh, given to us as an example. All right, application. We seek to fight sin through repentance and extend grace because grace has been extended to us. This is an application for us this morning. Those who have been saved have been sealed with His Holy Spirit. We praise Him for that. Our sins tomorrow do not negate our salvation that is secure in Christ. But we still sin. We know this. We look back over a week, we know that we sin. Which means, like the lost son, we need to seek forgiveness and return to God, the one who is faithful and just to forgive us. So practically speaking, we should desire to be in relationships of accountability where people know your story and ask hard questions for the sake of fighting sin, for the sake of repenting from our sin. And we need to celebrate, in, we need to celebrate this repentance in, uh, small, in the small victories by celebrating with our friends as we defeat sin. Also, we need to be a people that extend grace. Remember the story of the lost sheep? I would have dragged that sheep home out of frustration, but we see that Jesus as the shepherd does not do the same. 
We need to be reminded of the great penalty of, the, of death that we are owed and the wrath of God that was set on our hearts, but also that God has taken on the full wrath of God and satisfied it in Jesus Christ. He is the fatherly. He is the father figure in the, sh- in the shepherd that gently gives grace to those in need. All right, so now as we reach the end of the text, I've reached the end to where I, uh, I stopped this um, earlier. And um, I'm going to jump back into the text before I do. Um, many of you might be moviegoers. And if you're, if you're a moviegoer and sometimes you're in the know when you get into the theater, um, there are sometimes in, in movies hidden scenes that you know what I'm talking about. After the credits roll, about 50% of the population in the theater get up, but you're in the know because you know there's the hidden scene. And usually that hidden scene tracks with a, a new movie that's going to come out in the, in the next uh, year or so. In a similar fashion, the story is not over as Jesus continues to speak. You can picture the crowd. He's gotten to the point of celebration, which is where all the other stories have ended, and so they're packing the bags, they're getting ready to go, but he continues to speak. So see what he has to say for us. This leads us into our next point, that God offers an unexpected invitation to the feast. God, God offers an unexpected invitation to the feast. Let me read this for us, 25 to 31. 32, excuse me. Now his older son was in the field. He came near to the house, and he heard the music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he, because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and did not want to go, so the father came out. Notice that. Just another insight to God's character that the father comes out to the stubborn son. The father comes out and pleads with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving for many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, Cain, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus, in showing us this hidden scene, is, taking, is talking straight back to the religious leaders and also providing us a segue into the next text that we will cover next week. In doing this, he also extends, extends an unexpected invitation for the leaders, religious leaders and the rulers who were rule followers as it made, he, they made it their job to stay close to the camp and follow the rules prescribed to them by the fathers. But now Jesus offers his hand out and invites them into the feast with the younger brother. Would they extend, would they accept the offer extended by the father? Or would they walk away with furrowed eyebrows and crossed arms? The story ends there. We don't know what they do. It's almost like harking back to Jonah. Jonah's sitting up on the hill, and he's, he's mad at what God has done. He's saved all these people. And God says, don't you know that I'm a God of, of forgiving love, that I've saved all these people and their cattle? And it ends. We don't know what Jonah's response is. So the natural response is that Jesus invites us today into that offer. He extends the offer to us, and what will our response be? Have we tasted the sweetness of a forgiving father? 
Have we been saved from our lostness by Jesus? God offers salvation and comfort for our lost souls. All we need to do is repent and follow him. Romans 10, 9, we know this verse. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The invitation is open to us. Now, this morning we have the privilege of taking the Lord's Supper, this time of remembering what Christ has done for us at the cross. And I invite you this morning, if you feel that God is seeking you out, feel like your heart is being moved and he is drawing you to him, to him do not be tempted to walk away with crossed arms, but instead grab onto the end who offers you into the feast. This morning, as we transition to this time, it's also a time likewise that there's an invitation for us believers. That we would take part in this mini feast that the Lord has invited us into. And that we will remember the sacrifice of Jesus. So I invite us in a few moments as elements are passed out in a second, that we would hold them and be reminded of the great cost that Christ went through to seek and save us from our sin. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, ask as the elements are passed in a moment that when it comes by that you would allow them to pass by, but also take the invitation to consider Jesus, the one who comes and seeks for you. So as the ushers come, they lift, they uh, hand out as the band comes up as well. As these elements, the bread and the cup are passed to you, let us be reminded of the cost that Jesus went to for you to save you of your sins. We're going to play some music. Let's take some time to reflect on what Christ has done. And when we all have the elements, we'll, we'll take it together.
Church, let's be reminded of what Christ has done for us. As we take the elements, we are reminded that he is, his body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke 22, it says, And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. And he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my body, which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of him. God, we are thankful this morning that your character is a God who comes out for broken and lost sinners. Who we weren't were, we were following the world, we were broken, but you have come for us through Jesus Christ. Through your body broken on the cross, through your blood shed, this story of redemption gives us hope this morning. So God, let us be a people who are also people of hope, that we go out like you have gone out for us, that we chase after sinners, that we rejoice with ones who have been found, that we fight sin, that we give grace to others. God, let us be a people who are characterized by this character. God, we give you thanks this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand together. As we respond with a story, come behold this wondrous mystery. Let's sing together.